0: This podcast was originally recorded as a video. For the full viewing experience, please visit us at instituteofcatholicculture.org. Blessed is our God at all times, both now and ever, and into ages of ages. Amen. Heavenly King, Consoler, Spirit of Truth, present in all places and filling all things, the treasury of blessings and the giver of life. Come and dwell within us, cleanse us of all stain and save our souls. O good one, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Welcome back to all of our participants here for our Sunday gospel reflection for the 29th Sunday in ordinary time. Annie Mitchell, how are you today?
1: I am doing great, Father Hezekiah. How are you?
0: I'm I'm good. A little uh travel weary, but uh nevertheless, here we are, ready to go. Um, and actually pretty excited about the biblical text that we're given this this coming Sunday. So um yeah. let's let's start here, Isaiah 45, right? Annie? let's give yeah. our give our participants guys always remember you want to be writing down your notes get your notepad out get your pen out your highlight is your bible okay so if you're um you know just listening well if you're driving the car i understand but otherwise yeah, let's get let's dig at it together okay absolutely. all right go ahead Annie.
1: absolutely so write this down the first reading as father was saying is isaiah chapter 45 we have verse one to set things up and then verses four through six The responsorial psalm is taken from Psalm 96. The gospel is Matthew chapter 22, verses 15 through 21. And the epistle is Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians chapter 1, 1 Thessalonians 1, verses 1 through 5.
0: Here we go. Here we go. Isaiah 45, verses... One and four through six. Okay, let's do it. Okay. All
1: right, here we go. Thus says the Lord to his anointed Cyrus, whose right hand I grasp, subduing nations before him and making kings run in his service, opening doors before him and leaving the gates unbarred. For the sake of Jacob, my servant of Israel, my chosen one, I have called you by your name, giving you a title though you knew me not. I am the Lord, and there is no other. There is no God besides me. It is I who arm you, though you know me not, so that toward the rising and the setting of the sun, people may know that there is none besides me. I am the Lord. There is no other. Right. This is an exciting reading. I'm really excited to get to unpack this one with you, Father. So start us off. What is the story with Cyrus? Why is he showing up in the book of Isaiah?
0: Yeah, good. Good. Okay. Remember, remember, Isaiah is kind of this bridge prophet. He he prophesies the destruction, but that's coming, right? Of the fall of Jerusalem, Babylonian captivity, which we talk about a lot, right? Because when we're doing the prophets, the prophets lived during this time because they had to warn the people, hey, you know, uh, stop doing what you're doing. Otherwise, this whole thing is going to go to hell in a handbasket. But Isaiah is a great prophet that that kind of bridges the gap. He not only talks about its destruction, but also also the restoration, which a number of the prophets do. But Isaiah is our strongest one on this point. And, um, and um, in, we've talked about before how chapter 40 is kind of that turning point. Mm-hmm. Which we know so well, the the uh, comfort, comfort my people, says the Lord, in verse three, a voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight the, in the desert a highway for a God. Of course, um, quoted regarding Saint John the Baptist, which we all know from a Christian standpoint, but there it is in Isaiah because we're to see John the Baptist very much as the beginning of the restoration, and and why? Let's let's go big picture now. Fall of Jerusalem takes to the Babylonian captivity takes place, well, over a number of years. I like to put in my head the year 500. That's a little bit too late. More, you know, it's earlier by 100 years or so. But for just kind of keeping big picture numbers in your head, you can think 500 years before Christ, Babylonian captivity. Now you've got the Babylonian captivity you also have the Babylonian restoration right which yeah. takes more close to the, takes place closer to the year 500 so we focus a lot upon the destruction in our bible studies that the prophets are always talking about but here Isaiah has turned the corner at chapter 40 and is now talking about restoration now what takes place why is it that we can talk about Jesus John the Baptist as the restoration But we're going back 500 years before when Israel returns. Well, those 500 years are a time of disobedience, a time of uh, of a waywardness. The people come back to the land, but they don't live according to the law. And so you have a 500 year breather in scripture in which you basically stamp it as awaiting the full restoration that Isaiah had prophesied. Okay, But that restoration takes place physically, truly just about 70 years after the the, the fall of truth so the people of, of, of god taken into battle into exile and about 70 years later they return they return physically but spiritually not so 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 much right
1: yeah
0: and that spiritual restoration is going to take place under christ where their heart is going to return um but here in in isaiah 45 this guy appears on the scene regarding this restoration, right? Yeah. Thus says the Lord to his anointed Cyrus. Let's let's talk about that for a minute about Cyrus. That's your question, right? Who is this guy?
1: Yeah. What's his story? So,
0: right. So what you want to do in Isaiah 45 in a little side thing in your Bible, you're going to write in it Second Corinthians, not Second Corinthians. Ah, Second Chronicles. Second Chronicles, okay? Now, ICC Bible study people, what is First and Second Chronicles all about? First and second chronicles is all about first and second kings, right. written from the standpoint of Judah, right? So you have you have the division of the kingdom, right? The northern kingdom becomes known as Israel, and mm-hmm. the southern kingdom after the break after Solomon's son has a disaster. The southern kingdom then is Judah. So so the tribe of Judah which is the driving force of the southern, southern kingdom has their own kind of history books and that's first and second chronicles whereas first and second kings talks about all of Israel and Judah together wow. so now we know a lot about second kings chapter 25 we talk a lot about the babylonian captivity which happens in second kings chapter 25 but now we can see that same thing happen in, at the end of Second Chronicles. So I'm in Second Chronicles chapter 36. That's what you're going to want to write down in Isaiah 40. 2nd Chronicles chapter 36. And you're going to see there, chapter 36 verse 15. I don't know what your Bible says is a, a, a header there, but the fall of Jerusalem. You can write next to that if you want. 2 Kings chapter 25 right? Those two mm-hmm. chapters go side by side. They're the same story. But Second Chronicles chapter 36 gives us a little bit more of the story. So let's pick it up at verse 17. And for you Bible study lovers, you're going to remember these words from Second Kings chapter 25. So I'm in Second Chronicles 36, 17. Therefore, he brought up against them the king of the Chaldeans, who slew their young men with the sword in the house of their sanctuary, and had no compassion on young man or virgin, old man or aged. He gave them all in his hand and all the vessels of the house of the Lord, great and small, and the treasures of the house of the Lord, and the treasures of the king of the princes, all these he brought to Babylon. He burned the house of God and broke down the walls of Jerusalem. That's that's verse 19. Hold your hand there in your Bible. Flip back with me to Second Kings chapter 25, Second Kings chapter 25, verse 13. And the pillars of bronze that were in the house of the Lord, the stands of the bronze sea that were in the house of the Lord, the Chaldeans broke into pieces and carried the bronze to Babylon. We just read about that, right? Right, okay, right. Good. Now just take a look up a few verses to, this is Second Kings chapter 25, verse 9. And he burned the house of the Lord and the king's house and all the house of Jerusalem. Every great city he burned down. So there it is. You've got it there in Second Kings chapter 25, which you usually look at. Now, 2 Chronicles picks that up there. Where were we? Verse 19, Annie, right? And, he, yeah. and they burned. So I'm in Second Chronicles 36, 19. And they burned the house of the God and broke down the wall. Of Jerusalem and burned all of its palaces with fire and destroyed all its precious vessels. He took into exile in Babylon those who had escaped from the sword, and they became servants of him and to his sons until the establishment of the king of the kingdom of Persia to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah until the land had enjoyed its Sabbaths, Hmm. all the days that it lay desolate and it kept Sabbath to fulfill 70 years. Okay set right and so and so we've talked about this a lot about the jubilee year and how god's people refuse to honor the jubilee year if you want to learn more about the jubilee year because about it well it's one of my pet peeves but recent popes have um have called jubilees about every three years but actually the schedule for the Jubilee year is the seventh year, or the Ju- really the Jubilee year is the, the, the 50th year. It's the seven times seven, and the following year is your Jubilee year, in which all debt is forgiven. And we've talked about this at the ICC. I gave a talk called Jubilee of Mercy. When Pope Francis first became Pope, he called a jubilee year, okay, a special jubilee year. And they've got more jubilees coming up about every three years. They call another jubilee year and they open up the doors of St. Peter's and so forth, like that. If you want to understand the biblical jubilee, its importance, you got to go back and listen to my talk, Jubilee of Mercy finding freedom from spiritual bondage and I go through this in detail, but nevertheless, the people of God had refused to honor the Jubilee and therefore, and it was that Jubilee of course is this year of release, a year of rest, yeah, in which all the slaves returned were given freedom, all the land was returned to its former owner, even the land was to receive its rest. it wasn't to be harvested and it wasn't to be cultivated and so forth like that. And so now here, Verse 21, to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah until the land had it enjoyed its Sabbaths. It's it's, it's its its sevenths, if you will, right? Yeah. All the days that it lay desolate, it kept Sabbath to fulfill 70 years, okay? Now, here's where we pick up your question, Annie. That was my context of the context of the context, and that is who is Cyrus? Now, in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, whoa, wait a minute. Because Isaiah says that this guy is anointed by God. Yeah. But he's a Persian. That's
1: going to be my next question.
0: Yeah, he's a pagan, right? Who is this guy, Cyrus? Well, from a historical standpoint, we know who he was. The Persian Empire rises up. Now, we had had the Assyrians, remember, the Assyrians marched on the north and conquered it. But then the Babylonians rose up, conquering the Assyrians, taking control of their empire and expanding the empire. But now the now the Babylonians are conquered and the Persians take control of the world, if you will. Um, it's the next world power. And in the first year of this new world power that now takes control of all of the Babylonian lands. And which means that they now control the Jews who are slaves in exile in Babylon. Right. Right right Now what happens? Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be accomplished, the Lord stirred up the, the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he had a he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom, and also put it in writing. Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord, of, the Lord. Now, t- this thought of, I mean, I, every time I read this, the Herald my, my yeah. head stands up. Okay, the Lord of God, uh, the, the the Lord, the God of heaven has given me all the kingdoms of the earth. And he has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Whoever is among you of all his people, may the Lord his God be with him and let him go up. So now what happens? Whereas the kings of Judah had refused to honor the Jubilee setting captives free, a pagan king comes in on the 70th out of 70 years and says, I set you free. Wow. Even though your rulers would not. Wow. Yeah? So God stirs up his spirit. And now we just have to turn your Bible one page. Boom. What do you have next in your Bible? The book of Ezra. And yeah. Ezra is going to give a little bit more meat to the bones. And look, I, if this is all we do today is look at these two things. We're going to look at the gospel, trust me. But this is such an important moment in salvation history that you got to know it. And we haven't spent a lot. We've referred to this passage a number of times, but having the time to actually spend on it, Isaiah calls out Cyrus for us. So we need to go back and get our,
1: our our historical
0: bearing. Okay. In the first year of Cyrus, King of Persia, that the word of the Lord might by the mouth of Jeremiah might be accomplished. The Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus King of Persia, so that he made a proclamation to all his kingdom and also put it in writing. So now we we pick up second chronicles thirty-six and now give the further declaration. Mm-hmm. Thus says King Cyrus, King of Persia, the Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth. And he's charged me and build a house in Jerusalem, which is in Judah, Judah, Whoever's among you of all his people, may his God be with him and let him go up. Period. Second Chronicles 36. To Jerusalem, which is in Jeru- Jerusalem, to rebuild the house of the Lord, the God of Israel. He is God who is in Jerusalem. And let each survivor in whatever place he sojourns be assisted by men of his place with silver and gold. With goods and with beasts. Besides free will offerings of the house of God, which is in Jerusalem. Then rose up the heads of the fathers of the house of Judah and Benjamin. Remember, I've told you this before. Benjamin. Is is the one tribe with Judah in the south, but right. he ends up Benjamin's tribe kind of gets sucked up into Judah. But here he's identified, and the priests and the Levites, everyone whose spirit of spirit God has stirred up to go up to rebuild the house of the Lord, which is in Jerusalem, and all who were about them aided them with vessels of silver and gold, with goods, with beets and uh, with beasts and with costly wares. Besides, all this is exactly what happened. This is exactly what happened when Israel left Egypt. Yeah, this is exactly what happened when Abraham went to Egypt with his wife. Remember, and says she's my sister. Remember, he ends up coming out of Egypt loaded with treasure. Treasure. It happens time and time and time again when the God's people find themselves in slavery to a foreign power. They come out of that slavery loaded with with gold to go back to their to their land it happens over and over again we've talked about this in my commentary on the life of Abraham if you want to go back and listen to that those that series on the life of Abraham and how this becomes a witness to God's people through repetition of how God is going to act in their lives when they find themselves in this difficult situation okay um and so this is this becomes catechetical for the people at the time of Jesus regarding the Romans also God's gonna act in a powerful way um and here he stirs the spirit of, of of Cyrus to do this very act and to give the people the money to let them free and Cyrus proclaims his he confesses God which is the crazy thing right this pagan oh, guy you say how is it possible that that this that God's gonna work through this guy I mean it's gonna get from bad to worse and then look at what God does yeah it's amazing
1: I wish I could have been a fly on the wall when cyrus encountered the lord god can you imagine what a turnaround
0: it's amazing it's amazing it's
1: amazing it's amazing so Mm -hmm. if he's a pagan why is god calling cyrus his anointed isn't that a thing about with david
0: This is a really, really important question because we don't, we have a linguistic breakdown that happens in our minds when we hear this. Most people we sit at Mass this Sunday and they're going to hear, they're going to hear this. Thus says the Lord to his anointed Cyrus. And they're not going to, whatever, anointed Cyrus, what does it mean? We're going to move on to the next sentence, right? The word here, anointed, is in Greek, Christos. In Hebrew, Messiah. Okay. So when you say who's the Christ or who's the first Christ, who's the first one? You're saying who's the first anointed one. We call Jesus the Christ because God anointed him with his spirit, right? Yeah. It, it revealed to us in the Jordan River when the, when the dove came down upon Jesus and and the Lord says uh, God God the heavenly Father says this is my beloved son, right? So we call Jesus the Christ, but we have to understand what we mean by that term. What we mean by that term is that he has uh Uh, received the gift of God's life within him, right? Adam was anointed when God breathed his breath into him and made him a living being. The anointing which Cyrus receives here is the anointing of the stirring of his spirit, stirred up by the spirit of God. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I'm going to let me read you St. Theodoret of Sire says the divine scriptures designate under the name anointed, not only those who are brought forward for unction, that is with oil, but also those whom God of the universe has, has singled out with view toward fulfilling a required function. Yeah. And St. Cyril of Alexandria says, what is most clear is the power of the prophecy or the prophetic preaching. We should look at each of the lines to see clearly what seems obscure for it calls Cyrus Christ. And not as if he were one of the saints who could bear this name, but it functions to mean that he bears the name as anointed of God, in that God ha- was in the habit of anointing those called to the kingdom, even if they were not saints or worshipers. That is, that is, the, the Lord pours his spirit upon those whom he wills. Yeah. And even though from an outward perspective, Cyrus does not look like the anointed of God. And yet he stirs his spirit in such a way that he becomes his acting agent, right? To do the will of the Lord. And that's what is, that, that's what is meant here. Um, And, uh, and why? Because, because Israel was supposed to be a light to the nations. This is God's desire that he saved all of this, that he moved the spirit, not only of 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 those who have been baptized into him, but he moved the spirit of all the nations that they might return to him and not remain wayward, but that they might confess that he is the one true God. And that's what we get throughout all of this. In fact, in our psalm today, Psalm 96, I'm sorry, I want to move to Psalm 96, but maybe you have another question, Annie.
1: No, no. Well, I mean, I was going to ask like the bigger message, but I think you're about to get to that through Psalm 96. Yeah,
0: so, so okay, so look, let's look at it. Give the Lord glory and honor. Who's who? Who's to give the Lord glory and honor? Well, we're in the liturgical service, right? This is a calling out to all of those gathered together as we're looking around us, right? And look around your church, right? It's, it's all the nations are called. Um, to come to the Lord, give to the Lord glory, and I sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord, all you lands, to His glory among the nations. Do you see this? So now we're singing out of the proclaiming that the Lord has acted in ways that that were beyond our wildest imagination. He's calling all of the nations to glorify Him. Tell his glory among the nations, among all his people's wondrous seeds. For great is the Lord and highly to be praised. Awesome is he beyond all gods, Cyrus. Be, uh, for all the gods of the nations are things of naught. But the Lord made the heavens. You remember Cyrus says, the Lord of the heavens has called me. Yeah. See, it's, it re, and so here in Psalm 96, yeah. we get that. Give to the Lord, you families of nations. Give to the Lord glory and praise. Give to the Lord the glory due to his name. Bring gifts and enter his court. You know, you, you, you come, all of us, we're all the Gentiles. Yeah. And so we can, this is so beautiful. On Sundays, we gather together. We are the fruit of what was begun here. We can sing out that the Lord has stirred our spirit. Because we were among the Gentiles that have now been incorporated into the community, into the house of God, into the gathering, into the church of the Old Testament and the New. Um, And so let us rise up and offer ourselves to the Lord, even though we were among the pagan nations. And this is is the tie that we're going to get so beautifully into the gospel. As Jesus is going to call the Jews, to realize their calling, and the calling of all of the nations, as we're going to see in a second, to give glory to God. Uh, But first, it's got to start with us, right? We get in our in our Eucharistic gathering this Sunday. The Lord is, you know, why are you a Christian? How is it that you have been saved? How is it that God has called you into the house of God? What's your background? Were you among the pagans in Sicily, like my family? Mm-hmm. Were you among the pagans in Mexico that were sacrificing children? Only a what, couple hundred years ago? Were you under the uh, among the pagans up in up in the far reaches of Russia? that were saved?
1: I was among the pagans of of Ireland. Yeah, there you go,
0: fire worshippers. That's who you were. God chose you and he called you out and stirred up your spirit so that you could glorify him. So glorify him now, church of God. Yeah, this is what the church is going to realize where we've come from, what the Lord has done in our lives in such a miraculous and beautiful way that we might do one thing. And that is glorify his name and for ourselves to become a light to the nations.
1: It's really kind of fascinating, actually. I didn't think about it until... Um reading the psalm with you here father because the give to the lord the glory do his name bring gifts enter his courts reminded me of the story of the epiphany and yeah. wasn't one of the wise men from persia yeah yeah this is a, this maybe is... like kind of taking yeah. on the uh the inheritance from cyrus
0: yeah that's what in fact, we had to talk about this last year at the icc yeah. about how it was that the the wise men knew of the coming of the Messiah. Well most likely because. The the Jews in the di- diaspora. Had actually evangelized. The, wow. Their neighbors right. And so there were believers out there. Among the pagans. And, and certainly Cyrus. Proclaims this thing. Among the nations. And, and so his court. Apparently. I mean. if If we read Ezra. Properly. Cyrus has a full-blown, 4 alarm conversion. conversion. Unbelievable! Rejects paganism, which means his whole court becomes wow. followers, disciples, believers. Yeah. So, so possibly even from this moment, then the wise men of the court of the foreign nations, there's, there's, they're believers. looking out
1: for the Messiah too. Yeah, it's yeah, pretty wow. awesome.
0: It's pretty awesome. awesome. We're going to take a look here at Matthew chapter 22, verse 15, starting with 21, right? Matthew, let me get there. Matthew chapter 22, verse 15. Matthew 22,
1: 15. 15. Okay, here we go. Yep. All right, here we go. The Pharisees went off and plotted how they might entrap Jesus in speech. They sent their disciples to him with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are a truthful man and that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. And you are not concerned with anyone's opinion, for you do not regard a person's status. Tell us then, what is your opinion? Is it lawful to pay the census tax to Caesar or not? Knowing their malice, Jesus said, Why are you testing me, you hypocrites? Show me the coin that pays the census tax. Then they handed him the Roman coin. He said to them, whose image is this and whose inscription? They replied, Caesar's. At that, he said to them, then repay to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and to God what belongs to God. All right.
0: There you go. We're ready
1: to dive into this one. So this um obviously coming, well, I shouldn't say obviously, let everyone know, it is coming um right on the heels of what we had last weekend about the the wedding feast and the the dude that got thrown out because he didn't have the right garment and all right. of that. So then the Pharisees go off as soon as they're done hearing him tell this. So um, can you remind us about, because we've talked about it before, but I think it's worth repeating here, obviously, why the Pharisees and the Herodians are in this little alliance, why they're joining forces and why this is so despicable. Sure.
0: sure. Well, they're joining forces because they both are concerned about losing power, hmm. right? It's all about authority and power, Right. It's yeah. a big, it's a, I, I'm going to get a little Father Hezekiah's um, hobby horse right now. Nice. Because I I too often hear Catholics defend their Catholicism by using words like authority and power. Hmm. When this is completely contrary to the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? Those who have authority rule over them, Jesus says, not. So with you. You are to be servants. This is why the Pope's title is a servant of the servants of God. Yes? One of the really beautiful titles. Because to be a servant is to be a deacon. Yeah? Or to be a deacon is to be a servant. Right? So Jesus is the first deacon. Okay? He is the servant. And this is how we are to have a communion within the church. I don't have a communion within the church because someone has authority and power. I have communion within the church because... Someone is filled with love, the love of God, by which that communion is established. Communion is not established by authority and power. The nations have a communion that is a civil society based upon authority and power. But the church is bound together, not by that, it is bound together by the love of the eternal God, in whose image and likeness we have been made. Yeah, the the Jews, the hero, the, the the Pharisees are worried about losing their authority and power if Jesus claims to be the Messiah and people follow him. That's their concern, and the Herodians in a similar way. This is the unholy alliance. Between the Herodians and the Pharisees who fundamentally hate each other, but they have a communion at this point of destroying the one who would take away their authority and power by enemy. By, by inviting people into a relationship of love. What did you say, Annie?
1: I said common en- enemy. A common enemy. Exactly. The enemy of my enemies. So,
0: yeah. Yeah. Go ahead.
1: Okay so good to know now why this question why did they think that this question was going to entrap jesus
0: Mm. well can we can we back it up just a touch to ask where is jesus right now and what's going on in this gospel so let's let's take that as a second question annie as we get into the text itself because it's because that that the answer to that question has everything to do with where Jesus where is, is, right? In Forever. the bigger picture of the gospel, of course, he has now come into Jerusalem. Palm Sunday has happened and he has. Look at chapter 21, verse 12. And Jesus entered the temple of God and drove out all those who sold and bought in the temple, and he overturned the tables of the money changers.
1: Hmm.
0: Who are the money changers? Let's talk about that in a second here. Okay. The money changers, um, and so forth. So now we've got we got money in our in our gospel account, right? And we got money changers here. Now Jesus is now in Jerusalem, and you'll pick this. You'll you'll see kind of where he is in verse seventeen. And leaving them, he went out of the city to Bethany and lodger. Mm-hmm. Well, where's Bethany? Bethany is just beyond Bethphage, which is basically at the top of the Mount of Olives almost at the top of the Mount of Olives, overlooking the city. It is the eastern hill. Beyond Bethphage, just over that hill, is Bethany where Martha and Mary and Lazarus lived. Now today, when you get in a bus, because the Jews, the the state of Israel, has has blocked off Palestinian territory with walls, huge concrete walls to divide the state of Israel from the West bank is a little difficult to get there. So Bethany is, takes a little bit of time in the bus to get to it's about a 25, 30 minute drive. If my memory serves me correct, but really it's a 25, 30 minute walk
1: Mm -hmm.
0: for Jesus. It's just over the Hill. Okay. I don't know. Maybe it's an Mm -hmm. hour to walk. I, someone's going to call me out on this because Mm -hmm. you can look it up on Google. You'll figure it out. But anyways, it's just right there. Okay. So he he's staying there during Holy Week. He's going and staying with his friend, Lazarus. Well,
1: yeah, he just raised Lazarus from the dead. I'd want to hang out with him too.
0: <laughs> yeah, and besides that, he knows he's not going to get charged rent, right? Because, right, you know, yeah. you know, you just gave him his life back. I think he's going to let you stay at his house, okay? <laughs> so he's, he's going up there, staying, he's coming back. So now you're going to see him come back, verse 18. In the morning, as he was returning to the city, he was hungry. And he walks down the Mount of Olives, right? And there's a fig tree. Because it's there's, there's a fig tree's there today. Okay. Um, and then uh, and then verse 23. And when he entered the temple, the chief priests and elders and people came up. Now, this is where he's at, right? This is fundamentally important to know the context of what the passage what's going on. Because in the temple, when you came up the temple steps, well what was supposed to happen was outside the temple the money changers but the money changers the jews the authorities had actually taken over the court of the gentiles the where the where where the where cyrus was supposed to come and worship i'm going 500 years okay but where, where cyrus was supposed to come and worship in the temple the area designated for the gentiles believers had been taken over Right? Because then who wants a in Persian? Who who wants a Roman believer in the temple? Ugh, no. Disgusting. So they set up the, the court of the money changes, the area of the money changes in the court of the Gentiles. And there they're doing their de- their deal, right? Because why? Because you couldn't be in the temple with foreign money. You could only use temple money. In the temple precincts, so there they are doing exchanges of money. Now, what do you think they're doing? They're taking Roman money, ten dollars worth, let's say, okay, and they're giving them back. They're they're making a little money on the side, right? Just like the money changers do, and then they're selling the doves, they're selling the sacrificial animals to these people so that they could fulfill their their obligations. Okay, and of course they're making some money on the sale of the. They're buying the pigeon for one dollar and they're selling it for five. So Jesus says, "You're not going to make my father's house into a a house of of what's he say?
1: Robbers or thieves? A house
0: of yeah. thieves. I was going to say a house of thieves, a house a house of robbers." Right? And he starts throwing over the temple the the tables, right? Because because they shouldn't. They're going to do exchanges outside the temple, not inside the temple. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. And this is the beauty of this moment that you don't, it's, it's, it's below the surface. So let's take a look at our passage now as these guys notice the first thing to, to in, in, what was the question you asked, Annie? Because I want to be able to get to that.
1: Well, why is that the question that they would think would entrap him?
0: Yeah. Okay. Let's So let's look at this now. The Pharisees went off and plotted how they might entrap Jesus in speech because he had been Pulling off the gloves, right? Hitting them, boom, 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 in the in this chapter, okay? Mm-hmm. Which we talked about last couple of weeks, okay? They sent their disciples to him, okay? Yeah, you guys go do your dirty work. Mm-hmm. Annie, why? Based upon our last few weeks of Bible studies, why is it the Pharisees themselves now back off of asking Jesus questions?
1: There, I mean, there have been a couple of verses where it says that they've been they've been scared of the multitudes.
0: Yeah, they're scared of the multitudes, and they're scared of being embarrassed by by Jesus because he's now calling them out by name. You snakes, you whitewashed tombs. He's gonna go in Matthew chapter twenty-five. In, Matthew, in a couple of chapters here, he's just gonna forget about it. It's gonna go, but but he's been doing it. He's been calling them out at the end of each parable, saying, I'm talking to you. So now they're they're, they're afraid of this tension, this building, that the followers of Jesus are actually going to attack these guys. So they back off and they send their their lackeys, right? You go go and try to cause the problem, right? Mm -hmm. With the Herodians saying, teacher, we know that you are a truthful man. Oh Jesus! Right, read between the lines, and that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. This is what they've been attacking Jesus for not doing. But now they're trying to because they're snakes, okay. And you are not concerned with anyone's opinion, <laughs> or you do not regard a person's status, right? Why does really? and then why? And yeah. it's, it's truthful what they're saying at that point because. Who has he been talking about now? He's been talking about the prostitutes and the tax collectors entering the kingdom of God, right? Okay. Tell us then, what is your opinion? So, this is the entrap part, right? Is it lawful to pay the census tax to Caesar or not? Now, if Jesus is the Messiah and he says, yes, pay the Romans. Yeah, you know, in order to become subservient to them, mm. the f- multitude will turn against him, right? Because he's now he's now saying yes, we should be subservient. Because when you talk about the Messiah, think Cyrus.
1: Yeah, if
0: he's the king, he's the one that should be receiving the tribute, right? The tax. Mm. Yeah, so he denies his own position. Okay. Knowing their malice, Jesus said, to, said, why are you testing me, you hypocrites? So there he goes again, right? Pulls off the gloves, calls them out for what they are. And now how is it that they are hypocrites? Show me the coin that pays the census tax. And now they say, well, Jesus, we can't show it to you because we're in the temple precincts. We don't have the money. Let's go outside the temple to the money changers and get a coin and show it to you. But no, they reach into their pocket, they pull out the coin, Mm -hmm. and they condemn themselves for breaking the law. Wow. By the very act of showing that they themselves had had foreign money within the temple precincts. Hypocrites. He said to them, whose image is this and whose inscription they replied Caesar's yeah it's the the, so the the image and likeness of Caesar is on this thing right Mm
1: -hmm.
0: and that he Mm -hmm. said to them then repay right it's Caesar's image then give it to Caesar but you hypocrites you ought to be giving to God the image and likeness that I see before me, right? Hmm. And turns upon them because they themselves were not offering themselves to God, but were offering themselves to the Herodians and then themselves to Caesar. Hmm. Yeah, the, the, that the understanding the context in which Jesus, like the physical geographic context in which he's standing is such a huge part of this thing you've got to pay attention to context which is why you saw me while annie was reading i said to myself he's in the temple right grab your concordance boom i looked up the word temple and i was able to go back and see the times in chapter 21 that the temple was mentioned so I can get my geographic bearing. This is why a concordance is so fundamentally important to you when you're doing your Bible studies at home, not waiting for Father Hezekiah to give you the goods, but, but to be able to have the tools at your hand to be able to do the Bible studies, to prepare yourself to be able to understand the text. Maybe sometimes the geographic context doesn't help you that much, but a lot of times it does. It helps paint the picture around what's going on there so that when they pull the coin out, you know where they're standing.
1: Yeah. Well, it also means that you need to know the history of the law of Israel, too. How many people sitting in the pews on Sunday are going to know that it was illegal for them to have that coin where they were standing with Jesus?
0: Yeah, well, this yeah. that, but but actually, actually, you mm-hmm. should know there's something going on here. Because why is it that Jesus comes in and turns over the tables? Because he's a, m- a madman. I mean, what's wrong? They've got to go and sacrifice, don't they? But now you say, well, why are there money changers? You've got to stop because you, you got to stop and slow down. Why are there money changers there? It, uh, the last time I saw a money changer. I was at the Tel Aviv airport, mm-hmm. right? Because I was going into another nation, and I had to turn over my dollars, right, and get the shekels. Yeah, right, because that's the money they deal with there. So that's you're going into a foreign, a foreign, another nation. Well, the temple's another; it's it's God's nation, so it has yeah. its own king in there. It's got a God, and it's got its own form of money, right. Mm-hmm. There, you go. Okay.
1: Wow. Wow.
0: Just before before we move on, Annie, just let's. I might as well bring in uh, one of the church fathers, Saint Hilary of Poitiers, who mm-hmm. says it behooves us to render unto God the things that are His, namely body, soul, and will. For Caesar's coin is in the gold in which his image was portrayed; that is God's coin. For uh, on on which the divine image is stamped, give therefore your money to Caesar. But preserve a conscious void of offense to God, and so he's saying basically what we're saying, right? That the problem is that the disciples, the Pharisees, the Pharisees themselves were not honoring God. They were seeking to kill Jesus. They were not following the law of God themselves, and so while exteriorly they looked good, interiorly they were filled with dead man's bones, as, as I as I said, Matthew chapter. Matthew chapter, chapter, well, it's Matthew chapter 23. I think I said 25 earlier in our Bible study. I'm sorry about that. Matthew chapter 23, where he goes, he goes through the whitewashed tombs and so forth like that. Right. So that's the fundamental problem that Jesus is going after. And he calls him out for it. You're a bunch of hypocrites. And for okay. us, for, yeah. for okay, you got another question, but I say an application for us also. Well,
1: that's where I wanted to get to yeah. um, because you have brought up a number of times in the past couple of weeks that, you know, this is all written down for the early church who obviously yep. when you're talking about a persecuted early church and trying to figure out your relationship to those, to the government that are persecuting you. Um, I'm wondering kind of, you know, what is the bigger message for them when they're reading these words from Jesus? And then by extension, what that means for us?
0: Yeah, I don't know if I'm going to give you the answer you want here, but the fathers of the church make this point very clearly multiple times. They say, look, when Jesus says give to Caesar what is Caesar's, but give to God what is God's. Well, yes, the the coin is stamped with the image of Caesar, but Caesar is stamped with the image of God. Hmm. And I think this is this is very important. We look back at Cyrus, that the Lord works through even those that are least expected, yeah. And ultimately Caesar has to render to God what is His, and He will, yeah. Um, and so um, in a similar way, I would just I, I I would say that um, that, and we can we could talk about this actually regarding our current one year study of Catholic political theory. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day. At the end of the day, the separation of church and state is completely contrary. I'm going to just say it out. It is contrary to Christianity. Yes. There. I said
1: Dr. it. Dr. Pecknold's been saying it all along. Absolutely. A distinction
0: between the two? Yes. But a separation? No, because ultimately, the end or goal of the state must be to bring the citizen to his perfection, according to the state's ability to do so, which is the doorstep of the church. The ultimate purpose of the state is to bring man to the point where he can encounter God. Yeah? The state is, in the good way, the money changer of the soul that turns man to this perfection of virtue and a, a open to the grace of god right natural virtue you see what i'm saying to, to, to the and, and then hands them into the hand puts places them in the temple in terms of our gospel right
1: that was beautifully put beautifully put thank you shall man. we look at uh take look. yep take a look at the second reading yep. to uh close out our study second here today?
0: thessalonians
1: First Thessalonians.
0: Sorry about that. First Thessalonians. First first Thessalonians. There's something
1: in Second Thessalonians that you like so much.
0: (laughs) First Thessalonians, chapter Chapter one, one. verses one one through five. Yes. You ready to go? Yes, let's go. First Thessalonians, chapter one, verses one through five.
1: Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy. To the Church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, remembering you in our prayers, unceasingly calling to mind your work of faith and labor of love and endurance and hope of our Lord Jesus Christ before our God and Father, knowing, brothers and sisters, loved by God, how you were chosen. For our gospel did not come to you in word alone, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with much conviction.
0: You know, Annie, I think we can um, conclude with that passage, tying it to Acts of the Apostles. Hmm. but And the, the um, conversion of Cornelius in chapter 10 cool. and the circumcision party. That yeah. believed, uh, the early Christian Christian Jews who believed that you had to become a Jew before you could become a Christian. And in chapter 10, we have chapter 10, verse 34, Peter preaches to the family of Cornelius. And in, in verse 44, listen to this. While Peter was still saying this, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. That is, Cornelius' house. And they were Gentiles, right? Yeah. And the believers from among the circumcised, that is, of the Jews, who came with Peter were amazed. Because the gift of the Holy Spirit poured out even on the Gentiles. What? what, what How did that happen? For they heard them speaking in tongues extolling God. Then Peter declared. Can anyone forbid water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Now, my brothers and sisters, you got to read between the lines here. Why did he have to command? Because they had refused. The circumcision party refused to bring water. Apparently, most likely, Peter had already said, it doesn't say it explicitly here, I need water to baptize these people. And the circumcision party said, No, you need a knife so that you can circumcise her foreskin. And, and at this moment, God sends his Holy Spirit down, confirms them in the faith before baptism. Wow. Yeah. And my, my point about that, and I think the point here of First Thessalonians is that God works in mysterious ways. And while the normal way by which one is saved is through the sacramental system, if you will, that, that the Lord has given us in the church. Nevertheless, the Lord is not bound by that sacrificial system. He is able, he is able to stir the spirit of the heathen so that the heathen, having had his spirit stirred, might speak the truth even to those who should have known it. Don't be surprised when those outside the church, whether they be Protestants, Jews, or even heathens, speak the truth to authorities within the church who are corrupting the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. To Christ our God be glory both now and ever and unto ages of ages. Amen. Thank you for joining us for the Institute of Catholic Culture's Sunday Gospel Reflections podcast. The Institute of Catholic Culture is an adult catechetical organization dedicated to the re-evangelization of our society through educational and cultural programs offered to the public at no charge. I invite you to explore all we have to offer, including over 900 hours of on-demand catechetical opportunities, and sign up for our upcoming events by visiting instituteofcatholicculture.org.